Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals. And given when this episode was recorded and is being released, I want to take a moment and acknowledge that Black Lives Matter. I'm continuing to release episodes throughout this whole time since I strongly believe art can, in part, help bring us together and help heal a broken society. So be sure to check out the episode notes for links to resources that need your donations if you're able to do so. This episode is with Taylor Trench, who was most recently seen in To Kill a Mockingbird. Did you know he holds the record for the most shows at the Schubert Theater? This dude has just had a career. I mean, he's still young, but he's had a career that's just been going on forever. We ventured into a great conversation about mental health. He was very open and, and you know, just very candid about how he's dealing with things, especially now being in quarantine and with COVID going on and, and everything else that's happening. And... This is part of, of course, the Bleeding Love takeover for June. He plays Sweet William in this original musical podcast. It was actually funny because uh, we talk about this. I, I was his audio engineer. I was the audio engineer for this podcast, and he recorded most of his lines in his bathroom you know, screaming or yelling into towels or whatnot. Uh, the whole situation was just great. It was recorded entirely in quarantine. As always, please find me online, share a rating, share a review. I'm on Instagram at theater underscore podcast. You can find more of me at bpn.fm slash ttp. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Taylor Trench. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here you go. One, two, three. My guest today has been working on Broadway since 2012, making his Broadway debut in Wicked. He's also been in the original casts of Matilda the Musical and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. He most recently starred opposite Ed Harris in To Kill a Mockingbird and can now be heard as Sweet William in Bleeding Love, a brand new original musical podcast radio play. Taylor Trench, welcome to the theater podcast. Hey, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so where I have to now ask my standard opening question, which is, how, where are you staying in quarantine? I'm in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, not too, too far away from you. Oh, yeah. So you're so you didn't leave town at all? No. Oh, well, we tried for a second. We tried going upstate, um, and then we were met with uh, anger and 
ill will until we had left and came back to Brooklyn. What was ang- angry about upstate? Um, I think there's just a lot of fear, obviously, like rightfully so, about this pandemic and like the idea that people were coming from New York City, like one of the epicenters, mm. and like bringing their grossness to the more like quiet, beautiful parts of New York. I uh, yeah, I think they were like, get out of here. Well, I think like the the New York as a whole is generally dirty, so we're probably <laughs> we're probably cleaner now. I think because, so too. because we're conscious of washing our hands and wiping yeah. down surfaces, and and like the subway shuts down to disinfect every night. So I I would argue that it's better now than it is on a normal day. I agree. I was also thinking all the people who were like, "Get out of our town." I was like, "Well, if we main, if we like maintain six feet of distance, there will be no problem." I promise. But we left. Oh well, screw those guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, screw those guys. <laughs> so you're, you're in Brooklyn now, and where did you grow up? Where where were you, where was Little Taylor living? Um, little Taylor was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. In oh, the I very, oh, go on. I lived in I lived in Clearwater for a good while. No way. Yeah, yeah. So I know Tampa very well. Um, yeah, I grew up in the same house that my dad grew up in. Like we had the same childhood bedroom and sat at the same seat at the dinner table. Wait, so when he, when he got up, he moved over to his dad's chair? Is that like... Yeah, exactly. He like assumed the patriarchal head of the table seat. <laughs> is, the, is the seat being held for you one day? Um, fingers crossed. We'll see. I do have a nephew who's a lot cuter. And so I feel like I might, my generation might get skipped and it might just get handed to him. Oh, well, you're plenty cute. So don't, hey, don't, thanks. Right don't back sell at yourself you. short. <laughs> <laughs> so then in, in Tampa, um, what was your childhood like? Like when did you get into singing, dancing, performing, like the whole, the whole scene? Um, super early. I was like five years old when I did my first community theater show, which was The Wizard of Oz. And I peed my pants opening <laughs> night. And from then on, I, I couldn't be stopped, both peeing my pants and being in musicals. <laughs> Excuse me while I pee my pants. <laughs> well, was it your was it your parents' idea to put you in musicals, or did you ask for that? Like, where did the idea come from? I asked. I straight. This is the story, and I, I don't. I'm not sure that I believe it, but I was reading the newspaper as a five year old uh, and saw that there were auditions for The Wizard of Oz, and I loved the movie, so I begged them to take me. And um, the auditions were at, at like the local science museum, and so I stood in this like big cavernous room. Um, with like probably dinosaur fossils and saying, this land is your land, this land is my land. And got it. <laughs> Never looked back. <laughs> I, well, the fact that you were reading like newspapers and saw the word audition at five years old. Yeah, like what's going on? Yeah, well, child genius, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was it about, like at five years old, what was it about that at the time that, that made you really want to to dig into this? Like, why not go out for sports or play in the backyard? Like, like most kids just want to do. <laughs> um, I think number one, I had a, like severe allergies and asthma, so like that was going against me. Number two, I'm gay, so I have no hand eye coordination. Um, <laughs> and number three, I'm gay, so the immediate like applause and feedback and laughter was like. Woo! Um, and so, yeah, I think it was, it was like truly the excitement of like people in a room, the like immediate feedback and like getting laughs or getting applause. I was like, more, more. How, how long or how young were you when, when you knew you were gay? Um, probably like certain, I knew for certain in middle school, but I'm sure 
before then there had been like inklings, but in doing community theater around like middle school time, mm-hmm. I started like becoming aware of like the gay adults or the queer adults who were doing community theater and like started to see myself in them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've said this before to, to women and to people of color in general. Mm-hmm. And like this podcast has given me a lot of, of, of opportunity to reflect and being a, you know, a, Male presenting, straight presenting, mm-hmm. person, uh, white white presenting person. Mm-hmm. Um, my my life uh, has come with a level of privilege that I didn't realize until you know, probably just like two three years ago. Sure, really, because I grew up in a you know like tiny tiny close to where you were, and and then moved to North Carolina where it was even less progressive. Where in North Carolina? I I went from Florida to North Carolina. Well, I went. I moved to North Wilkesboro. Okay, which is, which is the Tyson Chicken processing capital of the world. Oh my God, you know I love it. Oh yeah, on a, on a good summer day, you can smell them chicken coops all the way across the county. Sick. Sick. <laughs> it looks disgusting. And and uh, then Raleigh for about eight in and out of Raleigh for eight years. Wow. So I was that was like my home base when I was doing regional theater. Okay. Yeah, where were you? I, w- I went to college at Elon University, which is in the oh, yeah. middle of nowhere, but um, that's so funny, from Florida to North Carolina to New York. Yeah, definitely. I definitely know Elon. I went to NC State. Of uh, yeah, of course. Blue Devils? No, that's Duke. Duke, Duke is Blue Devils. Right. <laughs> Travel Hills and Tar Heels. UNC Travel yeah. Hill. Raleigh's the Wolfpack. Once again, gay. Um, <laughs> no, that's well, what I mean. I, I relate because, I, I mean, be, being queer is obviously... I, I can be treated differently if someone is aware of that, but I'm very much in the same boat you are. And the fact that I'm like a cisgender white guy. And so I like benefit from a lot of privilege. Right. Right. And, and I mean, I guess it, it's actually through corporate trainings and stuff through, through other jobs and experiences. I've, I've taken a lot of these, um, these courses in the last, you know, probably five plus years and, and it's courses and trainings and whatnot. And, and it's interesting to me to, to hear the discussions of, of people, especially like light-skinned people of Asian descent, who are who are like when they start to feel guilty for for presenting more as white when it's to their advantage, and Asian when it's culturally culturally relevant, uh, you know. So so it's like I well, I feel like everybody to an extent sort of puts on a different face depending on what group they're in and what totally. Yeah, and what what setting they're in? I think yeah, even like personality wise, I feel like we like yeah. have like a thousand versions of ourselves, and we choose one to fit like whatever will benefit the situation. Right, right. So I mean, do you still find yourself doing that? I mean, especially in you know, like Dear Evan Hansen is one of the roles you're most well known for, of course, and among many many other things. And and Evan Hansen, the character, is just this kid that doesn't feel like he fits in and doesn't have really any friends and has this weird estranged relationship with definitely one parent, probably the other, which gets mm-hmm. mended by the end of the show, you know? And like, so going through this experience, uh, you know, eight times a week for as long as you did, I mean, was it, was it any sort of catharsis? For sure. I think at that, at Evan's age, I like for sure also felt totally unremarkable and like there was nothing special about me. And I think that is like kind of what's at the center of the story is that he's like, he feels so invisible, but there's a part of him that's like maybe rightly so because like, what, what do I have to contribute? Um, and I, yeah, I, I think 
no matter, I think even if you're like the quarterback of the football team, like that is bubbling inside of you somewhere where you're like, maybe I'm not special. Maybe like I'm, yeah, maybe I am like not worth celebrating or something. And I hope, and especially with the song that ends the first act, you will be found. I hope that the show teaches people in the audience that everyone absolutely has something inside of themselves that is like singular and special and deserves to be shouted from the rooftops. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's nice to hear that. And, it, and I've heard people say that a lot. And then, uh, and then immediately like the next day, I'll be talking to a Tony winner who's like, I, I don't know why I have this heavy <laughs> piece of metal. I don't, I don't deserve this. I'm no special than it. Not, not any more special than anyone else. And it, it, it's like, I love how theater and the performing arts kind of in general attracts this type of person that just quietly needs, and sometimes not so quietly needs yeah. validation. And then when yeah. they get it, it's so hard to be happy with it. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I was told someone this recently. I feel like inside every theater artist, there's like, there's one version of themselves that is like, I'm the worst person here. Like when I step into a rehearsal room, I'm the reason this project will fail. I'm going to like tear us all down with me. But then there's another part of you, like this tiny version of yourself that's like, but maybe I'm a genius because I think you have to have that in order to like keep going after what we do. It's like too hard to not. (laughs) And I think in order to chase it, there has to be like some tiny part of you that's like, I think maybe I'm incredible. Um, and it's so true. It's like those award season like feeds into that for a second. It like feeds that part of you. And then immediately you like squash them down into the dirt and like, once again, welcome back the part of you. That's like, I deserve to be in a crate in my basement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, like the, you've, you've had the pleasure too of, or the, 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 not pleasure. What's the word I'm looking for? The privilege of, originating multiple casts, multi, uh, originating a couple of casts. And, and you know, there's still, I mean, there's thousands of actors in this city, pro- tens of thousands probably. I don't actually know the statistic. Uh, and and the vast majority never get to say they even originate one. Right. And so you've got more than one. And then you've got the, the credits that are two of the biggest shows still running on Broadway, we'll say still, because Broadway will come back, and I'm yeah. sure Evan Hansen and Mockingbird will come back. Um, and so, even after all of that sort of thing, like it, it, be- I, I realize that it sort of becomes norm, and it sort of becomes habit. That you know, like, oh yeah, I got Ben Platt on speed dial, and I can just call <laughs> up Manuel or whoever it is, right? And Ed Harris and I are buddy buddies. <laughs> but do you ever stop and and just realize where you are, and just say like, this is not average right yes it's so that's so funny it 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 does become so normal so quickly and i think anything like once something becomes your routine that just is what's normal to you so i do i always like i make it a point to try to remind myself to be like look at where you are look at who is like standing next to you on this stage and there are there have been so many events since i've moved to new york like within um different experiences of doing shows. There've been so many like single, single events that have reminded me of that. Like when we did To Kill a Mockingbird at Madison Square Garden for like 20,000 public school students, mm-hmm. that was a moment that was, I'd been lucky to be on Broadway for like eight years. And then suddenly being in Madison Square Garden doing a Broadway play and like really taking in who I was on stage with and the power of theater and like remembering, seeing young people fall in love with theater. It was like, such a cool reminder. And I 
feel very lucky that I have moments like that that can remind me of how cool Broadway is. <laughs> how, how long was that in the works before it was announced? And then, and then like the rehearsal process, I mean, did they move the set or did they rebuild the set or build a new set in, in Madison Square Garden? Yeah, they built a new set. We fully restaged the show. So we would be doing like the original version at night at the Schubert Theater. And then during the day, we'd be in Long Island City rehearsing a fully new version of the show, um, which was kooky. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long it was in the works. We found out very last minute. Scott Rudin called us all on stage after either before or after a show one night. And we were like, oh no. Because when usually when a producer comes for a cast meeting, it's like, you're all done for. Um, That's what I was going to say. It sounds yeah. like you're getting your closing notice. I know. I was like, oh no. Wait, I thought this was a hit. Um, <laughs> gosh darn you, Ed Harris. Um, but then he was I, I did close the show. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> um, uh, oh, so we got like, it was very last minute. He told us the the news and like days later we started rehearsals. Um, but it was, I mean, it was just so exciting. My gosh. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine. I mean, I've seen shows in, in the audience in mm-hmm. MFG and I've, I've never even sat on like bought a ticket to see a show or anything on the floor. So, Oh man, like that, that has to be absolutely incredible. And you mentioned the Schubert, like you have the record for most Broadway shows at the Schubert Theater. Yeah, take that. <laughs> take that, everybody else. Yeah, version that, Peters. <laughs> Patty who? Yeah, Patty Lou, no, more like it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Patty's going to come after us with pitchforks. Yeah. You know she will. <laughs> um, and then, but you've also had a wonderful, wonderful benefit of uh, performing with your boyfriend, Ben Levi Ross, yeah. in Dear Evan Hansen. What was what was that like? Um, so c- wonderful. Um we met, he was an understudy for like all of the like uh, teenage boy characters when I joined and I walked into the rehearsal room and was like, uh Oh, hubba, <laughs> hubba, hubba. Um, but I like pushed him away and was like, no, we're not, we're not going to like, I'm not going to date somebody I work with. Uh, and then he tricked me into go seeing a movie and he, he was like, we're all going to go. The whole cast is going to go. And I was like, okay. And then as I walked up to the movie theater, he was like, everyone canceled, but he had never invited anyone else. Um, (laughs) Our relationship is built on lies and deceit. Um, But (laughs) he was like, I, first of all, just think he's so incredibly talented. And so it was so fun to be on stage with him just as, as someone who like that I admire and respect. But then, yeah, the added bonus of like, it also being someone I love dearly it was such a treat. Do you do you have any or did you have any sort of issue with like if if there was any trouble trouble at home and leaving it at home and not bringing it on stage when you needed to like like each other? <laughs> um, we've been I don't know like maybe it's a sign that I've been lobotomized or something, but I like we don't have conflict. It's been. I mean, I mean, I say that, and like tonight, he's going to put a pillow over my head and smother me, and <laughs> like building resentment that I just haven't picked up on. But we like are not a, we don't argue, or um, he, like if anything, he just gets annoyed at me for like things dumb around the house. But uh, yeah, we very luckily we're always like we're able to come to work in a happy, healthy place. It's interesting to me to to like I I read read scripts and read books and see shows and and 
you know, artists, the writers who create the, these works are using this as, as methods of expression and communication. And when I see, like on TV or something, you can't, you can't beat around the bush for too long or the, pro- the plot gets stale and you get bored and you have right. to move things along. But in life, sometimes people go years and years without saying what they really think or what they really mean. And I, I, I think that being I, my assumption and I'm trying, I try to carry this over to my personal life is, is as forthcoming and honest as I am in, in like a written form or even like, I find myself being more vulnerable right now doing podcast interviews Mm -hmm. than I do with, with friends that I know I'm going to see every day. Like my, my day, my daily circle of close friends. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yes. There must, be, there must be something about like the, the, the podcast you ultimately know it's like for entertainment or like it's going to be like released to a, like a larger audience than just your circle of friends. And there must be some weird like permission you give yourself when you know, especially when there's a microphone, I feel like ultimately it becomes a microphone is like a signifier that this is a performance in a way or something and that mm. must like, give you permission to be like okay because I'm like at a microphone doing a podcast that then like gives you a little bit of room to be more open and honest or something I don't know I don't know but it, it seems to me like sort of backwards because right. we're, we're we're digitally recording right intimate things to put out on the internet <laughs> that will be there forever I know yeah <laughs> sometimes you can't just like go up to somebody you really love and just and and say something that you think they're not going to like. Yeah, because yeah, for, like from speaking for myself, it's it's like uh, I have to continue to see this person. I guess I live with this person, or you know, in some in a lot of cases, like we have kids together, we have property together, we run a business together, whatever it is. And and for me, it's like oh, I don't I don't want to. I'm just afraid of like saying something and making them not like me because then we'll never get over it. It's it, I guess it's it's a lack of confidence. Yeah, that that. Conflict can be overcome easily. Yeah, and I, I guess it's like a deeper investment in your personal relationships than in like your the audience of a podcast. Like you're obviously like it's much more high stakes to like be open and honest with the person, like the most important person in your life, yeah. which feels like the opposite. It should be the opposite. You're right. Well, it's it's it, it's a, a commonality I've heard, and and I can vouch for this myself too. Um, having performed back in the day that <laughs> it's much easier to step on stage in front of 2000 than 20. Oh yeah. My God. I think about all the times that like growing up and going to like family reunions or like Thanksgiving at my grandparents' house and then being like, sing us a song. Like that makes my face so hot. It makes me break out in hives more than doing Madison square garden did. Right. <laughs> oh, spooky. Yeah. Well, it, there's anonymity and, and, mm-hmm. Uh, I was just actually talking with Mark Kudush about uh, the differences. Girl from the North Country moving from off Broadway to Broadway, like it's a bigger mm-hmm. house, and and he was saying too that like the first third of the audience, he didn't think had a great experience because they 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 were in the light, they they were you know too close, they were trying to like get back to see the full picture because it's right. a show that requires like a a big vantage point. So, so I totally I totally get that. It's uncomfortable for me too as an audience sometimes. Um, when I know that, uh, well, I was going to use six as an example, but I think that's a bad example. What I was going to say was when I know that they're looking at me. Oh God. 
from on stage as an audience member. Um, and, and, but six, now, as, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh no, six is okay because from the beginning, it's concert style. They're supposed to be looking at right. you. Like that's the good like, thing. Right, right. So there immediately there's no fourth wall. They're just like, here we are. We're telling you a story. Right. And there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than going to see a play where you think there's a fourth wall, and then suddenly the characters like turn out to you, and like you're like, ah, no, like this is not what I signed like, up for. Like the end of Cats. Should we go there? Yeah, the end of Cats. Don't oh, you dare look at me, Judy Dench. Not once. Not thrice. <laughs> not twice. But thrice. Really, Judy Dench? Like, no, gonna... just let me let me escape. I don't want to be like part of this. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, speaking of escaping, yes. um, Bleeding Love. Yeah. The Bleeding Love, you are Sweet William in this original musical podcast radio play. And we're seeing it like... In the podcast world, the podcast has just exploded in the last two years as a, as a medium, but now there's this resurgence of, of radio plays that are coming out. And I love it because when you think about, about uh, like, and the form of entertainment that's, that's audible, like to, that's why books, a lot of people are like, books are so much better than movies because books leave so much more to the imagination. Mm-hmm. And I think radio plays, too, do, do very, something very similar if they're done very, very well, obviously. And 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 Harris Harris Duran the uh, the the writer and lyricist and also edited all the podcasts <laughs> did this magnificent job of putting it all together and creating an atmosphere with the foley and the music and the sound effects and whatnot. And I you know for for those listening, um, I you know I was one of the producers on the thing and and helped do the audio engineering and so it was very fun and challenging to work with you and work with the other casts. Like, uh, to, to recreate a sound studio for you was in your bathroom. <laughs> yes. I know, I should say, I don't know if this has been said enough, but Alan is the reason we all, like, sound good on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was, a, it was a fun challenge and recorded entirely in quarantine, yes. which is ironic because the whole show is about being in quarantine. Right which it was written years prior to the current pandemic and just happened to fit the current world. So we were like, we have to produce this and we have to get this out. So, mm-hmm. and but how did you get involved? Because this has been, like you were in the original demo recordings that came out in 2016. And then, so four years go by and now we have a pandemic and we're recording you in your bathroom. Right. 
So how did it how did it start for you four years ago? After hearing you say like that they wrote this so long before this all happened, now I'm like, should I ask them about like lottery numbers or like, <laughs> when should I buy property? I just we should all like be seeking counsel from them. Um, I got invited to do the yeah the demo recordings. Um, I think I was doing the Curious Incident at that at the time, and I honestly don't know how Harris like found me, um, but he very kindly asked me to record the demos and he sent me some of the original production, which was in Denmark, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he sent me some of the music from that and I like was immediately so compelled because it like truly runs the gamut from like rock and roll to classical. Um, so I like agreed right away to do the demos. And then, yeah, when they, when Broadway Podcast Network, so kindly like offered this show a home. Um, they were able to assemble the full demo cast back together, which was so great, but also so painful to have to listen to what I did <laughs> years ago and like then try to match that. I was like, Ugh. well, it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, being, you're not, you're not old. I was gonna say as young as you are, you're not like super young, but you're not super old. Like, hey, watch people, it. <laughs> people's voices are still changing. Yeah, it's true. And so even the timbre, the timbre of people's voices, I mean, maybe Sarah Styles can always go back into, yeah, into that voice that she's got. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was we had a we had a tough time matching a lot of that, like Tony Vincent too. You know, Mark mm-hmm. Mark Mark is of a certain age where uh, I think he was all right. But you know, um, I love you, Mark. And, <laughs> yeah. So it was it was interesting because there was some dialogue that was interspersed with the music back from the demos mm-hmm. that we had to then cut out and re-record and it yeah, it was just it was this incredible challenge and like for you have you ever kind of done anything i mean obviously we're all living through a pandemic for the first time but um you know recording in your bathroom doing these these one-off lines like we didn't we didn't record lines against any other actors it was just one line one line one line and then it was all spliced together in post right yeah, it was such a like unique challenge. Um, we, there, I mean, there were moments where we were able to see each other, like on thanks to technology through like Zoom and stuff, so we could at least see them and like sort of have something to react to. And but yeah, it was so absolutely bizarre to try to make like a specific honest choice with sort of no context. Well, how do you, how did you approach it? Did you approach it differently than you would any other role, just because you're you're by yourself? This time, yeah, I, I think so. I, um, I guess I, I don't know what I was doing. Honestly, I feel like I just blacked out for the eight hours and like <laughs> screamed, screamed into my microphone at home alone. And I, my neighbors were probably like calling the cops. Um, it, yeah, it was, I don't, I don't know. It was, I guess, it was about like finding, just making any sort of decision on your own, like trying to find any sort of specificity or detail to infuse with the lines to like make them sound alive because yeah, without that like exchange of energy that you get uh, in like acting with someone on stage, you have to sort of like self generate that energy, which is hard to do. Well, that's why, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, visual, the visual help, like (laughs) we got on Google Hangouts and, and that, that was specifically why we tried to do that is just very much so that even if we weren't, you know, like it didn't have you reading against against whoever your scene partner was. Mm-hmm. If scheduling didn't work out, then Harris was reading or somebody else was reading. So right. like to get some sort of of <laughs> interaction, and and it became it became to me like recording um, 
voiceover where it's like, all right, mm-hmm. let's do four different takes of this line, four different ways, and then we use the one that fits. Right. So, you know, so again, like talking about Harris, how he put this all together to make it sound completely seamless, just he did such a good job. And and all of you, you two, all of the actors did too. Like the amount of of variation and the range that you went through and the options provided. I mean, it's how it came together is just incredible to me. Thanks. I'm I'm happy about it too. I, I guess also there must have been something about because we all knew this story for years, like we'd all record these demos so long ago, even if it wasn't like at the top of our brain, it was like living somewhere inside of us, like subterraneously, is that a word? Delete this, cut, cut so, me out, delete this podcast, don't release it. Um, it was like, subconsciously, subconsciously thank you. Um, he, and I knew that and I was testing you and you passed. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah, there, like the story was already living inside of us. So I'm sure that was also a big help and that we at least like generally knew the trajectory of what was supposed to happen and like what the like goalposts were throughout the show. Well, where do you think where do you think it should go next? And and in re, in a related question, uh, do you, did, when theater comes back, do you think it's going to be something that incorporates more of this digital format, or do you think it's going to go back to everybody just show up on, show up to Broadway and and get some overpriced pizza and water and go see a show? <laughs> wow, I would love to have more pizza on Broadway. Um, okay. I, I definitely think that this will continue. I, I, as technology gets better, we just see more and more people participating in it. Um, I feel like there was like a record number of podcasts, um, but yours is the best and you can put that, <laughs> you can send that to the government. I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that this will still be relevant and, um, ever present. But I, I think the main thing that will change is when, whenever it's like safe to be in a Broadway house again with other people, I, I think that as like technology becomes cooler and more developed, I feel like theater will start to get stripped back further. I feel like things are going to go to more of like a Peter and the star catchery kind of place where, like you said about radio plays, it's the audience is going to be more required to use their imagination and like be more engaged with the play because I don't think we can ask people to pay as much money to come see Broadway shows right away when we return. And I think producers probably can't spend as much money. So yeah, I I imagine that we're going to come back to a world that is like much simpler stuff on Broadway. I I wonder, I wonder if it's going to be like sort of a hybrid, sort of a hybrid streaming format, physical streaming format, because that's always been a question of mine you know, and I know why. I was going to say why. Why you don't stream? Offer the ability to watch live performances on the internet while they're happening or whatnot. Like for people who are never going to be able to, for whatever reason, come and see Hamilton or Dear Evan Hansen or Mockingbird or whatnot, giving them a way to to see it. And, and Hamilton, like Lynn's changing the game. Like Hamilton right. is about to be dropped on Disney, Disney right? Plus, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Disney Plus in a couple of weeks. And and so that's changed. And now in the pandemic, like Broadway HD and other streaming services are offering are offering recordings of shows. But I, I wonder, I really wonder how this is gonna shape out when when we come back, because you want people like New York City, part of New York City thrives on tourism and the, <laughs> the entertainment industry mm-hmm. is all about tourism and and you know, getting people to see shows and and walking through and and everything and if 
like it, for how long are we going to be able to open houses but not have a full house because you have to maintain social distancing? So right. for half of the house that would have been there, can they pay to watch it online? How do you prevent copyright violation? Like right. people still go into movie theaters and you know with camcorders or body cams or whatever and record this stuff. Mm-hmm. So is that where theaters going? Are we going to be able to get more bootlegs and still the purists want to go see it in person? Right. I don't know. I feel so. Um like it's I'm so conflicted about that because on the one hand I absolutely want I like wish the theater could be more accessible for everyone I um like Mockingbird putting on it, like having students come see the play for free is like I hope there are more initiatives like that in the future because I don't think that recording a show on film I'm I know Hamilton will be beautiful um but it's just not the way it was supposed to be experienced. It was like directed for the stage and performances are calibrated for the stage. And there's just something, what makes theater so special is that it exists only in that moment with that group of people in the audience and like whatever happened on stage that night. And that is like what makes it a unique and beautiful art form. And I think when we record things that like just a lot of the mystique goes away and the magic goes away but then there's also something great about people watching Hamilton at home. It'll probably like introduce a new generation of people to Broadway musicals and they'll fall in love. And then hopefully eventually they'll come see it, see something in New York or on tour. Well, um, Hamilton's been open four years, right? 2016. Like that, yeah. yeah. It's like four or five years. So, you know, they've, they've got, they, they, I guess they've got the reputation of, of having, you know, being the top grossing show on Broadway for so long. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people still want to go see its reputation. And, but so I wonder if it's going to make sense to, for them to continue to keep it on Disney plus when the theater reopens as, oh, right. as opposed to like six that didn't uh-huh. get to make their Broadway debut. Cause that was the night Broadway shut down. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, are they going to, it's, it would be, it, they would be cannibalizing their own audience to put that online before a year or so go by or like Mockingbird is doing well too. Would that, are they going to start doing it? Or, you know, Evan Hansen's another one of these long running ones or you've got like Wicked and Phantom mm-hmm. and these shows that have just been around forever mm-hmm. that people want to come and see because that's like a staple of, of oh, I went to New York and I saw a Broadway show and it was Phantom and that's mm-hmm. what I see every time. <laughs> um, which by the way, side note, I'm going to go off a tangent right here. Before online ticket sales, I was standing in line at TKTS to get uh-huh. my discounted tickets. And this was in the age of Peter and the Starcatcher. This is what reminded me when you said it earlier. And for whatever reason, I look approachable. And I have tourists come up to me every time I was standing <laughs> in line. And they were like, hey, what, what, should I, what should I go see? And I said, well, you can go see this, you can go see this. But there's this other great show, Peter and the Starcatcher. And I personally saw it like, like five or six times. I loved it. I saw it with Christian Borle. And it was just, oh my God. So good. And, and so I was looking at the show and I said... Peter and Starcatcher, a story of how Peter Pan became Peter Pan, and it's it's an origin story. It's so good, it's funny, and it's it'll make it'll make you it'll make you happy. And, and they're like, well, I'm gonna go see Chicago. I've heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of that one. Or yeah. I'll go see Phantom. I know what that's about. <laughs> and the the ability for people to not take a chance I on know. something that they've never heard of that is just as good or better. Right. Nothing against Phantom, nothing against Chicago, but but like those will always be there. I know it's the like familiarity of a title, especially when at the for how much money it costs to see a Broadway show and how much money it, like, it costs to fly to New York for wherever you're coming from. 
it makes so much sense to me that of course you're going to like go with what you think is the safest bet. Cause you're like, I want to make sure I get my money's worth. So I, I think that's also something it's so important that we like find a way to have more accessible Broadway ticket prices, because I think that will then make people feel more comfortable going to see something like a little more experimental. Well, this, this is a much bigger conversation and it, it kind of, I mean, the, the ticket prices are high because the production value, the production is high because mm-hmm. rent is high because mm-hmm. property taxes are high because New York, New York, New York, New York. Mm-hmm. And there are like right now, so many people are moving out of the city, leaving the city because of the pandemic that like there has got to be a real estate crash coming. And when the, when everything reopens, restaurants have to go first because people need a place to eat and public right. transportation needs to be there so that people can get around. Mm-hmm. And all of these things, like if there is an ongoing pandemic where we just have like mutation after mutation of outbreak after outbreak, then this stuff, the, the, the hole in the wall, amazing ramen place around the corner can't have 20 people stuffed into two square feet anymore because right. of whatever law is going to happen. So do they go out of business? Do, do they change? And houses, are theater houses going to have every other seat removed because because of social distancing. I mean, I, this is this is so crazy what we're living in right now. Yeah, and there's like it's unprecedented and there, we have no I, I like spend all day like reading and speculating about what will happen, but there like we just don't know. And so that's what's so scary about it all. It's like we don't know when it'll end. We don't know what life will be like when slash if there is an end. Like ugh. Well, do you have do you do you really focus on it? Do you read a lot about it all day? I go in like waves. There are, there are times when like I look at my phone at the end of a day and the the like notification that tells you how long you've been looking at your screen. There are some days when it's like eight billion hours, and then there are, and then I then will like have a couple of days where I just put my phone away and try to ignore it all. But yeah, I, I weirdly I feel like the more I read, the more I know, the better I feel. Well, does it is it like a, a sort of an do you get anxious when you don't know or get anxious the more you do because like yeah. my the people in my family are like kind of both they're like I, I know something's going on and then the more they read about it the more anxious they get and I'm like I can't talk to you about this you're stressing <laughs> me out I think the, there's something about like the initial part of like disconnecting yourself from the conversation there's like the first few moments of that where you're like ah oh, like finally my my like mind is happy but then then you start like as you're like going to sleep at night you like start falling into a tornado of the unknowns. And so for me, I feel way less anxious when I have a, like more information at hand. Is, is like anxiety something that you, that you deal with like on a regular basis or just this sort of situation? Just this. It's really um, made me like a little more understanding. I, I am like not at all an anxious person. Um, I like swing more towards the depressive side of the spectrum, I think. Um, but so many people in my life uh, have like anxiety disorders. My boyfriend, a lot of my like closest friends. And I feel like this, the like, I was like describing how I was feeling to Ben, my boyfriend recently. And he was like, oh no, yeah, that's anxiety. <laughs> that's like what I feel. <laughs> that's what I feel every day, like from start to finish. And I was like, I don't know. And it took like this global pandemic to make me see that or understand that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I'm with you. I, I am very much like, okay, something's bothering me. I'm just going to work my ass off and then, <laughs> yeah. I'll, and then I'll go fix it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and 
and either I work enough so that I'm not thinking about what is going on, or I actually do like put forth solutions and fix it. And I've always been kind of that way. And and it was like two weeks ago when I just sort of just sat down and was like, I think, I think this is helplessness. Mm-hmm. I don't know quite what to do, and I'm not motivated to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it was really weird because I've I, I am trying now to sit in my negative emotions yeah. because you know through through recent years of therapy I'm like okay now I'm okay don't push it away don't ignore it acknowledge it and and like, like experience and, it honor it and then yeah let it pass let it wash away yeah and and it really did like I I and this is one of those things going back to the beginning of our conversation where I told my wife I, I said I think I need like a couple hours just like to be by myself because I'm not in a good place right now and and I previously have been afraid to say things like that to mm-hmm. people Mm-hmm. Me too. Because I don't want her to say, be like, "Oh, that weirdo. He's just he's <laughs> that crazy guy I married." Um, because that's yeah, it's just a fear. But yeah, like it, it felt good. Yeah, and and I sat with it, and then I was like, "Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, now I know. All right, now I realize what a lot of other people are feeling. So now I can empathize with them. Yeah, the world is better. Yeah. <laughs> I so relate. I, I I'm the very same way. Where I never I like find it so hard to ask for something like that because going back to what we were talking about earlier about how much harder it is to be vulnerable with like your partner or your friends or whatever. Yeah. It's like this fear of disappointing them or letting them down or like you said, becoming unlikable or unlovable. I am learning to like get rid of that behavior and just say what I mean and ask for what I want because almost every single time the like response you get is like, yes, (laughs) that was good. And thank you for telling me and, that's totally fine that you want to go be by yourself. Which why why we keep hearing positive reinforcement. Why yeah. why is it ingrained in our heads to be like, well, this time's gonna be different. This yeah. time's gonna be different. Because we're a nation it, filled with shame. Oh God. Yeah. We are I, I think as a nation, we need to get okay about talking about mental health. Yes, one thousand percent. It's just been like exploding like the last two years, it's all of a sudden just become something that, oh yeah, I got therapy and yeah. you know, I I I met a friend a couple months ago before before quarantine was and we were having dinner and and I had just come from I just come from a therapy session and I and he was like, Oh, you know, where'd you come from? What were you doing earlier today? And I and I was I immediately went to a place where I was gonna say, uh, I you know, just hanging out, you know, just kind of give like a vague answer, but I, but I in that moment I said, you know what? Let me just see what happens if I'm actually honest. And I said, Well, I just came from therapy. And the guy said, Oh, do you like your therapist? I'm looking for a new one. And I was like, that was not what I expected <laughs> at all. That's right. awesome. Yeah. So, so I just wish more people would be honest. And it's gonna take, it's gonna take a while. Uh, yeah. because the, you know, my parents' generation, our parents' generation didn't do that. Completely. It was, yeah. It's so true. I do I do feel like we're on our way though. Things are obviously like looking up and we're like taking huge strides to remedy that I think I do too I do too and and it makes it technology makes it easier mm-hmm. and it's funny too because um, Google Google publishes a lot of they'll publish search trends a lot and and like I, there was somebody a presentation I watched once that was like even after um, like on Mondays and like two days after um, daylight savings when that one hour shifts the the queries about like how to commit suicide jump up temporarily. Whoa. Yeah. 
My gosh. Yeah. So it's like people tell Google, I mean, it's not Google's not Big Brother. Google's not spying on you. I'm not going to say, like, whatever I say next, people are going to be like, damn, with the corporation. <laughs> Anonymized data that works on trends. But when you know you search for something like, how do I French kiss? How do I make a muffin? How do, like, what and you're I see you've been reading my Google history. <laughs> how do I French kiss yeah. a muffin? <laughs> What is the best way to clean blood off a floor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are things that you put into the internet that you would never tell a person. Totally. <laughs> and and uh, if, if when you take that data, you anonymize it, and you can then start showing recommendations of like mental health help mm-hmm. or or resources to get to help people get better. Or maybe it is maybe it's podcast results. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like a self podcast or Bleeding Love, a podcast about being in quarantine that that has a nice message, you know, a message about love. Like maybe that's something that should be surfaced in search results based on someone's previous search history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's like we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg to how useful machine learning and machine learning tied into emotional response is going to get. I agree. I also I think in a, such a big way also even the that like access you have to other people is so huge. I feel like for for the queer community in a big way, being able to like talk to people on the opposite side of the globe and have a shared experience with them when in your own small town there's like maybe no one you can relate to. That is also like I think one of the most incredible things about the internet. Well, yeah, you can turn on turn on your computer, listen to a podcast, listen to stories, what you know, whatever it is about about People, you can find people like you if you like eating bugs upside down while wearing a furry suit, wearing a bear suit. Then mm-hmm. there's somebody else out there that you can that's going to want to do that too. <laughs> you know, how do I find insect eating bears parties? Yeah. <laughs> and if you want more information from for that, you can subscribe to my podcast, which will be launching soon here on the Broadway Podcast Network. Stay tuned. <laughs> Um, I would listen to that. <laughs> Thank you. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> um, okay, so we are short on time because you have a heart out here. So I'm let's sorry. wrap up as much as I don't want to. I love this conversation. Right now. Get to my three questions here that I use to close out every episode. The first one is, what motivates you? You do. Um, <laughs> what motivates me? That's a great question. Takes a lot. I'm a I'm a procrastinator for sure. I can be so lazy. Um, I guess what motivates me is, oof, I truly don't know. Like, that's just such a gross answer. Like storytelling. <laughs> um, yeah, like uh, the like shared artistic experiences are what motivates me. I don't know. I feel so like like I'm playing a flute in a field with a flower crown on my head. <laughs> <laughs> There's no wrong answer. <laughs> All right. The second question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Yes. Um, I think it was so hard for me in the beginning to like deal with rejection, which is like such a big part of what, doing what we do. Uh, and I have recently learned to like change, shift my method of thinking. And when I get something that I wanted... Yes, it's okay to be sad. Yes, it's disappointing. But at the same time, someone else's dream came true. And that is wonderful and exciting and should be celebrated. So I think that is like something helpful to hold on to when 
yeah, when you're feeling down. Um, and also like try not to compare yourself to other people. I, I always hear people say like, um, it's hard to move forward when you're constantly looking, when you're constantly looking side to side. So it would be like, don't, don't compare yourself to other people. And also like, please celebrate other people's successes. Hmm. Okay. I like that. Thanks. So now last question, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you could see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my God. Does it have to be currently running? No. Oh my God. This is a, a really difficult. Um, my first instinct is the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. I, I love that show. Me too. But because I shared their role with um, Alex Sharp, who won the Tony for it, like we both got to see it a lot from the audience. And I like just never, ever got tired of watching it. I didn't know that it, so you were there there was an alternate? Yeah, I did the show like two or three times a week to give Alex a break just because it was so physically and emotionally yeah. and emotionally demanding. So you only do shows that are so emotionally and physically demanding they can't it be done. Two actors, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I do feel like that not having to do eight shows a week, doing like six shows a week, it really is the answer. That's what we all should be doing. That would give more people jobs. Yes, I agree. Keep more people healthy, give more people jobs. Yeah. All right, maybe maybe that's the answer Boom. after quarantine. We, we you know, in, a, in Australia, a lot of times they do nine shows a week. Oh, why on earth? Yeah, yeah. I just finished interviewing a bunch of six queens from the Australia cast. Oh my god! And they were like, "Yeah, we did nine shows a week in Sydney." <gasps> no, don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane. Too hard. Yeah. So, where can we find you on social media? Um, I'm on Instagram at Knuckle Sandwich. <laughs> silly um, oh. yeah alright you can get more of this podcast and me at thetheaterpodcast.com you can show your support for the podcast at theater, thetheaterpodcast.com slash patreon find me on instagram and twitter at theater underscore podcast please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening this is edited by Matthew Hendershot and thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music and Taylor, thank you most of all. This has been a lot of fun. I know. Thank you so much for having me. Um, what a thrill. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.